All right, good morning. We are already right up against the edge of too much Josh. And then I get in the, po- the, the podium. This is, I know I'm walking in a dangerous area here. All right, today we are going to talk about a passage that I've honestly never spoken on before, and I don't think I've ever really heard anybody else speak on it. I'm not saying I'm the first by any means. I just haven't seen it talked about, uh, which makes me a little nervous, but, um, but mostly just excited. Uh, I have studied about it a little bit and was forced to do so uh, years back, and I'll explain that as kind of we go. So the passage today is going to be actually larger than the topic itself. The topic or the the ending point is going to be the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin. But the passage is going to be much bigger because I want to like walk us through getting there because you know there's there's always a context there's always a a greater story going on and so I want to watch what Jesus is doing and saying his disciples are doing and the Pharisees are doing and saying all along the way and then when we get to this unpardonable sin I'd like to look at it and maybe it'll bring some uh, clarity to some of your hearts and your minds maybe it'll even bring some peace and some comfort Maybe you'll just be a nice reminder for most of you, but we'll get there. And then at the very end, we'll jump back into the the passage that we just read. And I want to pull out just three little things, be super broad about it, because I ain't going to tell you what to do. But I know whenever I was reading it, the Lord was like, hmm, that or that or that might be of worth to some folks here. So anybody ready to hear the Lord continue to speak through the message, through the word of God? Yes? No? Yes. No. Yeah, yes. No. Do you want to do this another day? Do we want to, Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. Where's Pastor Shaler? <laughs> if you do not know what I'm talking about, watch last week's video. I'm so proud that we have a youth pastor that is not going to baptize someone unless they are saved. I just wish that he would have known ahead of time that the girl didn't speak English. So that's... That's great. All right, so Lord, we open up our hearts and we open up our minds because we want you to speak to us. We want, as we look through your word, we want you to just like, just have the total freedom just to talk to us. And it might be on on this point or that point or another point, or you might even connect something that we learned a long time ago or something that Pastor Dan opened up years ago or months ago or Marty said or Shaler said or whoever or your grandmother said, and you might just pull something out of just kind of thin air, out of the depth of our heart, out of that little corner that we learned a long time ago, and then you would connect it with this. I guess what I'm saying, Lord, is we just ask that you'd speak to us. And I totally realize that I don't bring a whole lot to the table, and neither do they. But we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, we open up your word, and we ask that you speak to us, not just for our sake, but definitely for our sake, but for those around us. Uh, Would you speak to us today as we look through some of the walk of Jesus and his disciples, would you speak to us, uh, because maybe we're the one that you want to speak through this week at work or at school or in our family. So Lord, I guess we just want to hear from you. And so Lord, may I get out of the way. And would you speak through me and through this text to be an encouragement and to be a challenge and be a help for these folks that you really, really, really love. And so I bless them and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going for a walk here, guys. I want you to turn to Matthew 11, verse 25. And anytime you just pick up somewhere, you're jumping in midstream. So I'm going to just... 
I'm not even going to swing at the first couple of pitches because there's, like, you just have to start somewhere. But let's just start reading here in Matthew 11, verse 25, and we're going to make it through quite a bit of verse, or chapter 12 as well. So it starts by saying this, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Maybe the only thing I'll even say here is just, did you know that the Lord pleasures in things? I mean, a lot of time, I mean we know we're, we're creatures of, of emotions and we have pleasures and stuff, but like we're made in God's image. It shouldn't surprise us that if we can sense pleasure, then he can sense pleasure. And the things that the Lord pleasures in, it's good to see what those things are. And I would tell you today that the Lord pleasures in you. The Lord pleasures in us whenever we, uh, well, first of all, just because we're his creation, he loves us, but also like whenever we, draw close to him whenever we look at his word and we adapt our lives to fit it and, and that pleasures him I think it's, it's wonderful he loves that he says yes father this was your good pleasure all things have been committed to me by my father this is important for the end I want you to really grab this verse no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. No one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son but the Father, except for all those people that the Son chooses to reveal. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to reveal himself to all because it's a benefit to us, and he wants us. He doesn't want anybody not to be saved. Like, he loves us. And so remember this by the end. Just remember that we're part of that, those that the Son uh, is choosing to reveal to. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys know about the yoke. You guys know, like, if you had an animal up here and they're going to plow your field, you don't want to put a 500-pound yoke on that animal because then it would take all its effort just to put the equipment on them. He couldn't even hardly do any work for you. You guys understand that like a yoke, like I would much rather have a, an easy, a light yoke. You also know that the rabbis would call their teachings their yoke. So, if, so when Jesus Christ here, the ultimate rabbi says, hey guys, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's talking to a group of people who are being burdened by the religious system of the day. They're being told, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and this, and that, and don't forget about that. And when you're doing that, make sure you don't think that. And when you're thinking that, don't think that. It just made it really confusing. That's the world that these people lived in. And then Jesus just shows up and is like, hey, guys, you're trying too hard. Take a breath. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And so unlike that animal over there who's carrying a 500-pound yoke just trying to survive, if the religion is on top of you and it's crushing you, you're doing it wrong. That's not my religion. That's not what I'm trying to pass on. So Jesus steps into this moment and he just, out of a graciousness, he shows a better, he shows a better way. Now, who are some of these people that were given the alternative? Well, there was a few. There was a list, but one of the groups were the Pharisees. You guys know anything about the Pharisees? We're going to talk about them a little bit today because they keep coming up in these passages but just know and just watch that whenever Jesus is making these kinds of statements and he's correcting these things, he's correcting, it, uh, he's correcting the current state. And the Pharisees were kind of one of the groups that were kind of driving the current state. And so Jesus comes on and says, hey guys, my yoke 
is easy. My burden is light. Verse 1 of chapter 12. We're getting closer here. Uh, It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to them, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. All they, were, all they were doing was walking. They were just going to their next destination, and as they were doing so, they, they, they came over and they picked a little bit of grain, and they, they broke off the grain, and they rubbed it in their hands, and the chaff separated from the grain, and they had just a few little morsels. Just, I mean, imagine a few handful, like a small handful of sunflower seeds, and, but they were hungry. And, the, and, the, and, and, and Jesus seemed okay with that, And then the Pharisees comes over and say, look at them, they're breaking the law on the Sabbath. Now, to be clear, what they were doing wasn't really an issue. Uh, It wasn't even considered stealing. It was the day they were doing it on. It was because they were doing it on the Sabbath. There was actually a rule or kind of a, a, a system in place in that time where when they would harvest the crops, they would leave the corners untouched so that the poorest of the poor could come along and grab and and feed themselves. It was kind of the social welfare system of the day before we, you know, our government, we trust our government to do that for us today. In those days, God already had a plan. Just don't glean the corners. You remember, you remember the story of Ruth when she was gleaning the fields of Boaz and then like she was going just to get enough food to survive and, and Naomi said, yeah, yeah, go out there into that field. But then, the, but then you also know that, like, she kept coming around like she was expecting to just grab little bits here and there. And then and she would find this perfect bundle just sitting there waiting for her. Because Boaz had said, hey, leave some extra extra over there. I know we did this for the poorest, but she, he was wanting to, uh, to be a blessing to Naomi and to Ruth. And so she would come along and she'd come home with all this, this grain. And she was so excited. And, and Naomi's like, something's not normal here. This is more, this is above and beyond the, uh, the normal. So the gleaning thing was not new. In fact, uh, my wife was telling me about recently, we watched some Channel 13 thing or something. They all had English accents, and that's kind of what she's into. And I, we were enjoying it. And uh, I learned about this, this new thing. It's not actually new. It, it dates back a couple hundred years from Napoli. Anybody been to Napoli? Not Florida, put your hands down. Napoli, the one in Italy. Yeah, yeah. They have this thing called Café Sospeso, or Café Sospiso, I think how you say it. And it, it was, it's basically called Suspended Coffee. Has anybody heard of Suspended Coffee? Like I said, I, w- I watched it on a show recently, so maybe you saw the same show. So Suspended Coffee, it started because they were these really poor times. And, uh, and like, let's say you were doing okay, you saw the poverty, you saw the struggle around you, but you personally were doing okay, or you were just having a really great day, really great week, you've just been blessed, you just had a good, uh, maybe you got, had a good job, you got paid, and you just have a little extra. When you're ordering your espresso, uh, this, this tradition sparked up a couple hundred years ago or less, and you would pay for two cups, but you would drink one. And like, and then during the day, when someone who had less than you would come around to the, to the cafe, they would say, hey, has anybody suspended a cup of coffee? And if they had done so, if someone had paid it forward, as we call it today, uh, then they would give that espresso to the person that came by. And it was a way that you can kind of look out for another person. It was no way that you can kind of give back. And you do it, of course, 
uh, humbly and you do it without you know any fanfare and you definitely don't need to be thanked it's just but it was just this tradition that that kind of picked up well we already had that in the scriptures it was called gleaning and it was the fields were left uh, untouched well here the disciples come and I, and I and the word the word that really just I missed so many times I've read this passage but one, the word I really missed was this one his disciples were hungry I don't even know why I missed that word, but like I've read it so many times and like it just said his disciples were hungry. So don't just think they're just walking through bored and they're just, you know, pulling some grain. They were hungry. They were tired. They were hungry. They were in need. And they saw a little grain. They plucked it off. They rubbed it in their hands. They threw the few sunflower seeds in their mouth. And then the Pharisees come out and they're like, look at them. Your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Shows you the heart of the Pharisees. They were so stringent in uh, just the way they did things. It was so stringent. They, um, the way they dressed was very particular. The way they observed the ceremonies was super particular. The way they, un, they scrupulously tithed. I mean, they tithed on their mint. Like when you go home and you're thinking like, hey, I want to make sure I tie this week, go into the cupboard, pull out the cumin and the pepper and the mint and whatever spices you got in there, a little paprika, a little oregano, and I want you to like lay it all out and I want you to take 10% and put them in little Ziploc bags and I want you to bring those to Pastor Dan. <laughs> they were so good about doing all these things and yet if you know anything about the Pharisees and you keep reading, you notice that they're getting the little stuff really good but they're missing the big stuff. You know, you're supposed to be known by your love as a Christian. They missed the love part, and yet they got the tithing part. They got the Sabbath part. The Sabbath is a day of rest. I'm in, I'm in favor. I'm, I'm, I'm all about the day of rest. In fact, I was thinking maybe we could even double or triple it because we love the Lord so much. <laughs> but the day of rest is important, and yet they had so become so stringent, and they had so packed their rules around they missed the bigger picture you know the story about the Pharisees I'm not teaching anything here and so as the disciples come through number one I want to remind you that they were hungry they were hungry and they pulled a little grain and they got just blasted for it but then watch Jesus's response I love I love Jesus first of all that he had a response it says in the NIV that I'm reading here it says in verse three he answered haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. You can, uh, you remember that story when they ate the show bread? They were technically breaking the law, but God didn't frown on it because he saw like the bigger picture. They were hungry, they were in, they were in need. It says, or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? If you look back in Numbers uh, 28, 9, and 10, there's a section there for Sabbath day offerings. I mean, just by the very definition, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and yet the priests were allowed to work. It says on the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs. Make, that's work. Okay, that, that, they're working now. It says, make an offering of two lambs a year old without defect, together with its drink offering and a grain offering of two-tenths of an epath 
of fine flour mixed with oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Here it is in the Old Testament. There's actually laid out. Here's the work you need to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees missed that. The Pharisees forgot, apparently, that David and his men ate the showbread. And here they are blasting the disciples who are hungry for just picking a little grain, which would have been okay on Tuesday, but just not on the Sabbath day. Would have been okay on Thursday, just not on the Sabbath day. And they just, in general, in all their actions, they just miss the greater good that God is more concerned about people. He's more concerned about mercy and, um, and giving and help than he is about your rules and, and your laws. And so here's where Jesus answers. He says, How, don't, you, don't you remember seeing this? If you had known that these, if you had known these words meant, it reflects back to Hosea 6, 6. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So here Jesus is. He's confronted by the Pharisees and he just answers them. Okay, let's keep moving. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogues and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So Jesus goes into the church, goes into the synagogue, and the Pharisees are there. And there's a, a man with a shriveled hand. And you can even see the, the heart of these men. They said they're, they're, they're looking to, for a reason to accuse him. They're not there to learn. They're not there to grow closer to the Lord. Let's not give them too much credit. They're looking for a reason to accuse him. And it says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So common sense, right? And yet, they're not doing it. Like, this is, this is so common sense. I really like the fact that he says, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? He could have said, how much more valuable is a Jew than a sheep? They didn't. He didn't. Because Jesus, as Pastor Dan often says, draws really big circles. He includes lots and lots of people. He could have said, you know, he, he could have left the Gentiles out, but he didn't. He could have said, how much more value is a black man he didn't how much more valuable is a white man he didn't he could have he could have even said how much more value is a man but not talking about man universal like humanity he could have said it like as a, as versus a woman but, but he didn't he said how much more valuable is a man if your religion doesn't make room for everybody you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong. How much more valuable is an American? Broaden the circle a little bit more. I think, we get, I think we get that and I think we know that. But I love how Jesus says, how much more valuable is a man than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now close your eyes and picture this. The man with a shriveled hand is there. The Pharisees are there to accuse Jesus. There's no expectation that Jesus is, is going to, they don't, they don't really care about this man. But here this man is with his shriveled hand. And I want you to picture this. He says, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out 
and it was completely restored and sound. Now open your eyes. Imagine this for a second. Just try to get into the picture. This guy's shriveled hand, whatever it's looked like, Jesus actually asked him to do something that he has tried to do all his life, but he never could do it. Since, since he was lame, whether it was from birth or afterwards, he's never been able to do this, and he did. And it's his fingers cracked and opened, and I just can imagine his excitement and the people around him's excitement, and then the anger that stirred up in the hearts of the Pharisees, and then the compassion that overflowed out of Jesus' heart, and the disciples were probably just like, wow, this is cool. Jesus asked him to stretch out his hand. And I was just wondering, like, in my own life, the miracle, like, it, it, yeah, he was healed, right? But Jesus asked him to do the very thing uh, that he couldn't ever do. And so I just wanted to remind you guys today, as I was reminded in reading the scripture, that some of us are expecting and desiring some miracles in our life. I want to encourage you, it might require you to do again that thing that you've not been able to do. And in the midst of it, he heals it. I don't know exactly what that even means, but if maybe you're praying for a specific miracle, miracle and, you can, and you can personalize that and say, but I love it. He says, stretch out that hand. And, and, he, and it was as if he was allowing the man to be a part of the, of the miracle. I mean, it wasn't just for him or to him, but he was a part of it. He was, it was, it was in, in action. So let's just keep reading. So <clears throat> stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Just as a rule of thumb, if you're ever in a religious environment and you're finding yourself plotting how to kill someone, <laughs> you're probably doing it wrong. <clears throat> Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Would you please say withdrew? Remember that word. Aware from this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, and this was what was spoken many, 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 many years before, talking about Jesus to come. He says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him. This is, this is, as if God is, God is saying, I will put my spirit upon that person. Now, back in Isaiah, we weren't sure who it was going to be, but here Jesus is. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel. Everybody say, not quarrel. Remember that one, too. Or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hopes. I'm going to come back to all of that. <clears throat> but here we are. That's the context. That's the walk. And then here we get to the unpardonable sin. Is anybody ready to look at the unpardonable sin? Yes? No. Yes? Okay. <clears throat> all right. So here's the passage. I, remember, I have a little note here in my Bible from a long time ago. It says, Des. And it says, Beelzebel means Lord of the house. Beelzebub means Lord of the flies. Remember that's a De so Des spoke on that many, many, many years ago. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished, and they said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub 
the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay. Well, let me keep reading. It says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house? Now, a lot of times you read that and when my, my brain would always go to the strong man is God because he's the strong man. But in this case, the strong man is Satan. In other words, Satan has possessions. He has this man who's demonically possessed. He can't, he's lost some of his faculties. I mean, it's just, he's, he's the possession of Satan. Who can rob the, the strong man? Only a stronger man. So here comes Jesus, who is much stronger. He's already defeated. It's not even close. He's already defeated Satan. But who can rob the strong man? Well, Jesus can. So he's saying, look, you got to tie him up before you can take his goods. So Jesus, so you're accusing me of saving this man, of healing this man by the power of Satan. No, no, I'm tying up Satan so that I can come in here and set this person free. So then in verse 30, it says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And I, so, so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Okay, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. It's a great reminder today that your sin is forgivable. Every sin. Remember, Jesus draws these big, big circles to include everybody, and as he does so, every sin that you've committed is forgivable. And blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will not be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven or sorry, will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the, years to, or the age to come. T Paul, in 1 Timothy 1.13, you'll actually see himself calling himself a blasphemer. He blasphemed God, or Jesus, but he was forgiven, and he was used, and he, was, he, was, uh, he, he goes on and writes half our New Testament. So being a blasphemer uh, of, of Jesus wasn't even too much, but it's just this, this extra sin here. And so today, and I'm going to tell you the reason why I'm having this conversation, because I've sat with people who are worried that they're, they've committed this. Um, and maybe you're worried that you've committed it. But I've sat with people who, in their anger, in their hurt, in their confusion, they've cussed out God. They've even used connected God and damnation together in sentences and they thought oh my gosh maybe I've maybe I've committed this sin and I was so happy that in that moment I could say let's take a look at this and let's look what this passage actually means and I was able to bring some hope and bring some clarity because the ideas you hold the thoughts that you hold have consequences right Okay, they have, they have consequences, both, both good and bad. And if you, the more we understand of God's ways and the more we understand of God's word, um, it's to our advantage. But if, so, so I've gotten to sit with a few people like that recently. I've also sat with people over the years who have lost someone through suicide. And, uh, and they wondered, is that the unpardonable sin? Or murder, 
is that the unpardonable sin? Or adultery, is that the unpardonable sin? And the beauty of it is no, none of those things are the unpardonable sin. So let's take a look at this passage. Now, by the way, I'm not saying we should murder or we should commit adultery or we should do suicide. I think, I mean, specifically suicide is a very selfish act, but in, in the confusion, in the, who knows what that person's going through, I can just step back and say, based on your word, God, while that ain't ideal, it's not ideal, it's not what I've wanted, I wish we would have gone a different route. Hey, Preston. Preston snuck in here, I didn't even see him. While that's not ideal, I can step back and say, Lord Jesus, in your sovereignty, in your divine nature, you can look at every situation and judge, and you will judge rightly. I have great confidence that the Lord will judge rightly. So I was actually able to, to stare at a, a sister and tell her, look, I'm not saying suicide's a go-to-heaven-free card. I'm just saying it's not a go-to-hell straight to hell card either because this scripture that she was trying to connect it to it doesn't it's not what it said so let's look at the passage and it's just real just real quick it's unpardonable sin there's a man who's demon possessed right jesus walks up to him and heals him let me let you read the passage again it says in verse 22 then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. The book of Isaiah said that, that, that God will put his spirit on this man that they were talking about in Isaiah, talking about Jesus, that God will put his spirit on him. Said differently, the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus Christ and he steps into this situation and there's this man that's demonically possessed and is affecting his body in so many ways and Jesus casts out the demon and heals him people are astonished people are like excited this is this this must be the son of David except for the Pharisees the Pharisees were like no he does this by the power of Satan okay if Jesus is Jesus the one way to the Father? Yes. Is the Spirit of God on Jesus? Yes. If Jesus shows up and heals a man in the power of God, and you say that was actually a demonic act, he did that partnering with, with, with Satan, you are so confused. It's, it's like this. We said that Jesus is the one way, right? There's a door here. There's a door there. There's a door there, 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 there. I think there's one over here. I think there's another one down there. I think there's another couple over here. But let's just say for a second, it's, it's that door right there. That's the door that Jesus is going to take you through to get to his Father. And remember at the very beginning, it says nobody knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and whomever I choose to tell. It's that door right there. That's the one. If you go through any of these others, you don't get to, you don't get to Father God. So Jesus steps on the scene, heals a demonic man, and you call, that wasn't the Spirit of God, that was actually the Spirit of Satan. That was actually Beelzebub. That was actually, 
let's say, let's give these Pharisees some credit. Let's say one day they say, you know what? I, 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 I want to get to Father God. Maybe I'm wrong in my thinking or whatever. I want to get to Father God. Are you ever going to follow Jesus through that door if you think Jesus is connected with Satan? You're never going to go through that door. Because if you come to the place where you know, I know I need God. I was wrong. I know I need God. You're going to start looking for options. Might be that option, this option, this option. But it won't be that option. Because the man that told you that was the way to the Father, you've associated with Satan. You've associated with evil. You'll never follow Jesus through that door. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining, but is it, do I need to say it again or are you kind of getting it? Okay, you'll never go through that door, ever. So is the unpardonable sin suicide or murder or adultery or something like that? No, it's none of those things. The unpardonable sin is calling Jesus Satan. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's basically like not, it's not unpardonable because God can't possibly pardon it. It's unpardonable because you'll never reach out to God because you've associated Jesus Christ the one way that we have. I wish we had more ways, but we don't. We got one way, and I'm, happy. I'm just glad we got a way, to be honest with you. But if we, if we associate Jesus Christ with that door and we think Jesus Christ is sin, we think he's evil, we think we're never going to go through that way. And so the unpardonable sin is not that God can't forgive him. Like in his ultimate nature, he just can't figure out some way to muster up enough godness to forgive that one sin. It's not that at all. It's just that that person would never turn to Christ to ask for forgiveness. Does that make sense? Okay, so I've sat at a table with a woman who's worried and crying because she doesn't know if her brother has a chance with Jesus. I've sat at a table with someone who has committed the sins of David, <laughs> adultery and murder and all these other things. I've sat at a table with a, with, a, with a young man who is heartbroken and fearful that he's not gonna be able to, to, um, to get to heaven because he's committed this unpardonable sin. And in each of those cases, we were, able to say, we were able to look through the scriptures and say, look, that ain't what we're talking about here. Remember, God is drawing really big circles and his forgiveness is really, really big. So, and, and so then in all those cases, we're able to walk away saying, you know what, there's, there's, there's still hope for me. Does that make, does that make sense? So I know I'm, I'm not doing a good job explaining today. I'm sorry. Uh, so here's how we're going to end today, the con- kind of the conclusion. I said earlier that ideas and thoughts, beliefs, they have consequences. Um, I was in my office, and I... And I I noticed this. I don't like this about me, but like I noticed when I'm in meetings, in long meetings, I I sit like this. And then I say, oh, I don't like to have bad posture. I want to sit like this. But then over a little bit of time, I sit like this. (laughs) And I just consider myself just a bad postured, lazy person. Until I realized that chairs were built for five foot ten inch people (laughs) like if a five foot ten inch person sits in this chair the upper back where my upper back's hitting this chair actually hits it right here because it's built for for a person that's five foot ten right but for me I have to do this to get comfortable 
That's how our beliefs are. That's how our, our thoughts are. That's how our, our um, how ideas are. Um, and so I was, I was when we were, when we were talking, I guess as I'm t- talking about this today, um, some of our ideas and some of our thoughts and stuff, they're just, they're just not exactly, they're just not f- good fits, right? Our, our, um, our hope is to just, is to go back to the scriptures and, and correct them along the way. So for like the young man that I'm talking to, he walks out of my office and he no longer believes that he's committed a sin that's going to keep him from God because his belief just didn't fit. His, 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 the, the chair was the wrong size. When I was looking through this scriptures today, and I told you we'd go back to three little things, here's the challenge, and uh, I'm a little nervous asking you to consider it, but, uh, but I want to. I want you to notice that in verse 3, 15, and 19, we see Jesus, the way he responds to these Pharisees. And I want to just end by encouraging you to do uh, s- some of these things. Verse 3, it says, he answered. So the Pharisees said, look, your disciples are, are eating grain, and they're not supposed to be eating grain today. And Jesus answered. I want to encourage some people in this room, some people do not have a problem with this at all, and that's great. I pat you on the back. I want to encourage some people in the room that you've got to step up and answer. You've got to step up and be ready to give an account. You've got to be able to step up and give some truth in your workplace or in your homes based on what you understand of the word of God, based on what you understand of truth, you gotta step up and answer. We live in a day and a time where everybody can't just be silent. We've gotta step up and answer. That's a challenge to some of you guys. Some of us need to step up and answer more often. Then in verse 15, it said, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. It says, the verse before that says that um, after the healing of the hand, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Okay, I am not your judge, and I am not your, um, your boss, as my kids would say. Some of y'all need to withdraw. Some of y'all, I'm proud of the fact that we stand up and answer, and we need to do that. But some of us also need to recognize there are certain situations where we need to withdraw. You don't swing at every pitch, okay? You don't die on every hill. I was reminded this last week that Jesus didn't die on every hill. He died upon a hill, and it was the hill of Calvary. But he didn't die on a bunch of these others. There was many times where Jesus would withdraw. And I'm not going to single it out to just Facebook, But if you are to be known by your love, if we are to be known by our love, I think sometimes more often we need to respectfully, lovingly, humbly withdraw. Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry out. Jesus was very complex, but he was also very consistent. This is this passage where he's quoting from Isaiah, and it says, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear the voice. 
No one will hear his voice in the streets. Um, Jesus was poised. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was humble. Jesus was mild. Jesus was long-suffering. Jesus was often quiet. Occasionally, you'll see him flipping tables and making whips, right? Everybody likes that. But that was the exception. And so the challenge to my own heart were these three things, and I want to throw it to you. Are you answering enough? Like the Lord has poured a lot in you and has walked with you. And are you in a place where the Lord might say, I actually need you to step up and answer, to proclaim more? That's the first challenge. Some of you guys just are doing so great at that. Uh, I can work on that. The second one is the withdrawal. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Um, Maybe the Holy Spirit would challenge you. Is this a hill I'm supposed to fight and die on? Or is this one that I can withdraw from? Jesus withdrew. Now, it goes on to say that he kept healing people, he kept being good, but he withdrew. It was a fight that wasn't, it wasn't pleasing the Father. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, that the Lord was calling him to do. So the second one I just want to ask you guys is, is, is that the challenge that the Lord might be challenging you with? And then the third one is, it says, he will not quarrel. Are you known by your love? Or are you known as someone who likes to quarrel? Or someone who likes to fight? There's a time for it. There's absolutely a time for it. And it's a challenge to me. Sometimes I'm, I can easily play it too safe. But there's definitely a time where, you know, Jesus, for, for the few times, probably two, I know the, the turning of the tables likely happened twice. Uh, could have just been once. Doesn't matter. You'll still make it to heaven either way. But most of his life was poised and gentle and humble and merciful and, and careful and mild and long-suffering and um and i'm just wondering maybe that's the challenge uh that the lord might might challenge you you with today okay <sighs> sorry pastor <laughs> i'm not not apologizing for the message i'm po- apologizing i'm apologizing <clears throat> let's pray let me pr- let me pray lord let me pray uh as a as a pastor and as a friend um we're trying really hard to posture and position just right so that we can love you, we can know you. We, um, we want to be known as, as, uh, by our love. We want to be, we want to do it right. We don't want to miss it. Lord, it's easy to look in the scriptures and, and look at the Pharisees and look at all the ways they messed up, and, and they did. We don't want to be that. Um, but as I read this scripture, I'm personally challenged. Whether it communicated well or not, it doesn't matter. I'm personally challenged. And I want to take the, the, next, the next right step. And so, Lord, I just pray through your Holy Spirit uh, that you, of those three, if there's an area that, that, that needs to be adjusted, uh, would you make it clear to us? And you're going to have to help us. Like, you're going to have to strengthen us to do it. Lord, the, we want you working in our life. And so, uh, so Lord, I lift up this congregation. We love you. We 
absolutely want to do things the right way. We realize we're, we're flesh and we're all that. But we love you. And so, Lord, would you lead us uh, closer to you? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us? Because we still believe that in this little city that we're in, that you desire us to have a big impact. And so, Lord, pray that you would, you would help us and, and, and bless us in Jesus' name.